Good afternoon, dear listeners. You are tuned in to CJSR FM 88.5, and this is Moving Radio. I'm your host, Christian Zip, and join me, please, won't you, for the next one half hour as we take a look at local Canadian and independent cinema. Well, this week is actually a special one in that I've got a couple of interviews that I took down at the Calgary Horror Con, which happened about a month ago. Uh, It was a fascinating time, uh, a great screening of Reanimated, the 30th anniversary of that. And speaking of a screening of the film, The Reanimated, from 30 years ago, the cast was there, or at least a good portion of them. And of course, uh, the creative spearhead behind it, Mr. Stuart Gordon, I got an interview with him at the con. You'll be hearing it this episode as well as on top of that. They also like to make sure that they show a little love to brand new filmmakers. And that would be Dan Walton and Dan Zachary, whose film Bind screened at that festival as well. I had to sit down with them in the lobby and had a chat with them too. So it's a very special edition of Moving Radio this week as I let you behind the scenes of my visit to the Calgary Horror Con. Uh, some of which includes new filmmakers and some who have been in the game for 30 years and are masters of horror. It's all that and a little bit more on this week's edition of Moving Radio with me, your host, Christian Zip. Well, I heard that way back in the olden days, there was a witch that lived in their room named Hester Corbett. The story is, she went crazy when her husband wouldn't give her a baby and left her. She was so sad that she hung herself in there. Uh, I'm sitting here in the lobby of the Clarion Hotel where it is, uh, it's a horror con. It truly is. Uh, What I like is that a lot of people are dressed up. There's a family right behind us, a freak show in front of me. Uh, It's a fantastic ambience here. And they've been screening movies on top of the convention uh, as well. And one of those films was Bind. I just saw it. So did a bunch of other people. It was great. I enjoyed it a lot. And I also have Dan Walton and Dan Zachary who are here, who just screened their film. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing? Thanks, man. Let's talk a little bit about the film. Maybe can you tell people that that haven't heard of it at all uh, just a little bit about the plot. What is Bind about? It's about a family that moves into an orphanage, and uh, they are unaware of the past that the, the building has. And then things start going crazy, and people get killed. Yeah, but it's more of a supernatural, more a mix between kind of The Shining, kind of a mix between Annaville Horror, stuff like that. Yeah, totally. It's like it's a supernatural thriller, more than anything. You mentioned a couple of things that, that you said were kind of referential for it, like The Shining, or maybe, I'd say maybe even a little bit of Poltergeist as well in there too. You know, you tell us a little bit about plot. Tell us about the characters of the family and what are the dynamics between them. We don't want to give too much away, obviously, but tell us a little bit about the family. Well, it's basically two families that are together. It's uh, the, the, what is it, the father? <laughs> um, can't really. I don't know how to answer that. Okay, well, it it's, gives away too much. I think. Well, all right, well, yeah, a little bit. We'll keep it subtle, because that's that's the biggest crime ever. Is that it's like when you see the trailers that give away too much of the movie. I'm like, I'm still gonna see Southpaw. I know, I know. It's a good thing you stopped yourselves from doing it. In watching it, I felt like the aesthetics of it. And you kind of addressed this before too. 
were like you wanted something that was kind of creepy and that would linger with you and kind of affect you emotionally instead of it being uh, completely visceral. Would that be you know fairly accurate? And and was that you know kind of your agenda of what you wanted to achieve with the film? I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of uh, places in the film where it's more of a theater of the imagination, where we allow the audience to connect the dots and make the images. Figure out the story at the end. You know? Yeah. Like you're, you're kind of twisting your brain a little bit, right? It's like mixing Adderall with Ritalin. You know which one's going to work better, right? I have to throw an Adderall. Yeah. Just take them both and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're doing amazingly well. You're very articulate for that. <laughs> Um, sitting here with Dan Walton and Dan Zachary, we're talking about the film Bind, uh, and we're on location here at the Calgary Horror Con. Tell us a little bit about the, the production journey for you, because you alluded to that a little bit in the Q&A, that you kind of started the project. Give us a little bit of the history of how you actually got to make Bind and finish it, and then end up here in a wonderful hotel lobby. I, probably about four years ago, I wrote a script, literally Bind. I finished it and I wanted to film, actually it was about two brothers in the woods. I couldn't get the finance for it. I kind of went on my own, you know, with my money I've worked with. And I hired uh, Ryan Nicholson from Guider Balls to do the makeup. I gotta throw it in there since I produced Guider Balls. <laughs> so, um, Another film at the yeah, con. <laughs> so I, I, I jumped on it and said, you know, like, why don't we go out in the woods and start filming? Yeah, you know what? I built the trailer, I made the trailer, it didn't work. And it didn't bring anything. So. About a year and a half later, I got hired to uh, work for VFS, Vancouver Film School, uh, to do a short film. And I met Dan Zachary. And uh, we both, I brought him on to help me out direct. A little bit better because he's had the experience longer. And we both, you know, worked together as a good team. So I said, I'm going to go back and film Bind. He, I brought it up to him and he says, oh, I don't really have time right now. Uh, let me know if you, you know later on and you know if you ever go back for a longer days I think that's what you said figure things out so I shot Vine for five days about two and a half years ago and that was and like 12 minutes yeah it was about 12 minute footage but overall it was a five day shoot it was yeah, yeah, it took yeah. for friggin ever so I brought on the little girls in the orphanage and everything else it worked put it together and I made a trailer people were noticing and then um, I hit up a couple of my buddies to help invest. And I said, uh, would you guys be able to do this? And they said, if Dan Zachary is on board and you're on board, we'll totally invest. So we both jumped on it and we both shot it. And here we are. It's going great. Except for this interview. No. Well, that's mostly my fault. Uh, you know, I keep staring off into space. You know. I get boring. Well, uh, I'm very, I'm like a squirrel. That's the problem. Are, you guys are based out of Vancouver, is that correct? We're both based out of Vancouver, yeah. Right. How, how do you feel like, I mean, this is kind of more of a question about that scene necessarily. Do you feel like, you know, in doing horror films that you're like, A, it's a good scene for you, is that, you know, it's pretty supportive in Vancouver doing a genre film like that. And also, B, on top of that, how much love do you feel like do you get a lot from Canada? Or do you find that, like, honestly, interest is usually outside of our own country? Outside of Canada, we've gotten a lot of interest. All the offers we've had so far are from countries that are not Canada. Yeah, I found that when we went to um, Texas Frightmare, um, it was a big crowd. It was, you know, you're looking at about 300 plus. And everybody got up, everybody was happy, they had so many questions they want to know. Um, it's not about where you were from, 
they didn't really give a shit. They just loved the film. They loved the um, Yeah, they love scary movies. They like to drink, they like to have fun, and like to party, right? Oh, they and love to party in Texas. Outside all night till 5 in the yeah, morning. Yeah. And they still talked about our film till 6 in the morning. <laughs> but it was a good thing. A lot of people, like especially like here, people are still coming up, and they're still talking about it in a little bit and whatever, but in Canada, I find that people will talk about it for a day and they forget about it. Texas, we're still talking about it. And, you know, I don't know how Calgary's really going to be after this, right? Like, I don't know if they're going to continue talking about it. So if you ask me this question a year from now, then I would probably say, wow, you know what? Calgary was huge, Canadians. I don't really know yet, but for distributing... I think the states and overseas are the best. Overseas is the best for us because they love this shit. So, do you use that information to kind of cater to projects that you're doing, uh, or do you always find you're like, look, I don't worry about what trends are. I'm just going to write about what we're passionate about. We're going to direct what we're passionate about. That's what we did with Vine because um, we all grew up into the '80s. We grew up into the '70s, the '80s, '90s. We all like our old films and everything else and that's what I brought to it I brought a lot of the old genre into this maybe a lot of people talk about The Shining still to this day a lot of people talk about Christine there's a few scenes of Christine in the movie if you didn't notice the lights go on it's yeah like the lights go on and we had that, that one note that John Carpenter always uses our composer has the, 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 the synthesizer and he like found the actual note yeah, I find the, the film business, it's really tough now because there is a whole lot of horror movies. And I remember talking to James Wan from Saw. He said to me one time on Facebook, I said to him, you know, what would make, you know, Bind really stand out? He goes, screw the gore, screw the nudity, take the tension and have a twist. And he says, the twist will set you. And Saw had that twist. This had that twist. It's not going to be as big as Saw, but hopefully it will. And it's funny that you kind of mentioned that too, because I think there used to be that mentality. If we go back and like we're looking at like you know kind of Corman's days, where he's like up the nudity quotient, you know, just make a poster that's got some TNA and that'll sell to that audience. I think you know the cool thing is is that your audience now is way more diverse than it was you know yeah. 35 years ago, 40 years ago, um, and I think you have to be aware of that. And they're so savvy because there's so much stuff out there. Does that kind of drive you more too? Like the more, the fact that you're a fan and that you love this stuff, does that kind of help motivate you and drive you to create better stories? Well, yeah, I think the whole thing is you got to set out to make a movie that you would want to see. So, yeah, I think that. That's I said it's very mouse. All right. Tell us just a little bit too about the filming process. I know you, you know, you, you talked just about the journey that you took through it. Clearly, you guys must be working relatively close together with your own set, but I mean, clearly having your own roles. When do you kind of like defer to each other for like different ideas or how you're working on the set? Like, what's the relationship like necessarily between writer director and, and when you have to kind of step back and let the other person do their job? Uh, you're going to know when you're wrong. That's pretty much. <laughs> Well, the thing is, like, when we're working together, we'll uh, we'll watch a scene and we know something's wrong, and then we both work together to figure it out. I think it's all the movies we've watched in our life. Yeah, exactly. I think it's taught us a lot. If you really, really look at movies and you're going, "Oh, come on, that would never happen," you know, him and I working together was. Uh, it, I've never. It wasn't tough. It wasn't. There was no issues. We worked. We. It's. Do you really get into it? It's called communicating. And a lot of people don't communicate. Him and I communicate. 
We're communicating right now. You don't even notice. <laughs> I just passed them a note. See? And I have it in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> to get back to it, like when Dan and I work together, we work really well as a team with the actors, everybody else, but everybody says the same thing about us. It's good cop, bad cop. I'm the bad cop, he's the good cop. Tell uh, people a little bit about how they can find Bind, if not right now, then like maybe later. Or what's, what's the kind of journey, the next step for this film? And also, too, you know, you've talked about some other projects you're working on. How can people find out more about what you guys are up to? Well, Bind is uh, it's sold in the States uh, by Green Apple Entertainment. Halloween release, that's all I know in the States. Canada, we're still looking for distributing that will really go back it. And overseas, the same thing. We're really wheeling and dealing with someone overseas right now. We've got a few companies in mind that we really want to go with. Uh, the Saska Twins, uh, they helped us out a lot overseas, and I love my girls, so it's kind of like, you know, working with that. The next project is that what I gave, I wrote that I gave him, kind of like mine. When I wrote it, I gave it to him, and he wrote a few pages in it too. Well, 20 pages in it, fine, to help out. So my other writer is over in Florida, and he doesn't have time, so when Dan came in and started writing more, it worked with my writing more than the other writer. Anyways, uh, so with Dan in general, uh, I sent him over another script that I wrote a couple years ago called In From Outside. He loves it. Yeah, I love so it. We're gonna do very flat liners, more thriller. I'm going kind of back a little bit over than really, really scary. It's very creepy, but it's it's more story related. Perfect. And uh, how can people contact or at least find out more about you guys online? Please go to Bind. www.facebook.com slash bindmovie. Yeah, I threw some voiceover in there for you. It did. That sounded so radio, which is perfect. All right. Uh, I've been sitting here at the Calgary Horror Con. Uh, we've been talking with Dan Walton, Dan Zachary. The film is Bind. Uh, check it out. I saw it with a standing room only crowd, and uh, they enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah. A lot of them were sitting on the floor. That's true. There were people sitting even on the floor. Herbert West is at the top of his class in medical school. How can you teach such dribble? These people are here to learn and you're closing their minds before they even have a chance. What are He's you? brilliant, but a little weird. I've broken the six to 12 minute barrier. I've conquered brain death. His experiments have always been unorthodox. It was dead. But lately, they're getting out of hand. And he's just made a discovery that could wake up the dead. Herbert West has affected reanimation in dead animal tissue. What are you thinking? How do you feel? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I thought it would never happen here on Moving Radio, but I have a two-timer guest. That's right, I was lucky enough to catch up with none other than Stuart Gordon. That's right, you know him from things like Reanimator, of which they just celebrated the 30th anniversary of, uh, Dolls, Robot Jocks, Space Truckers, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show, uh, but also King of the Ants most recently, and things like Stuck, and he also worked on The Masters of Horror because he is one, and the television series fear itself. He's a bit of an icon in the horror genre, and I was lucky enough to catch up with him at the Calgary Horror Con, as he and some of the cast members and his wife were there at the con 
to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the release of Reanimator. They had a screening, they did a Q&A, and they also signed some autographs, shook some babies, and uh, took some pictures. And I was lucky enough to have a sit-down with Mr. Stuart Gordon himself. The first thing I talked to him about was I asked him what it was like to, uh, to get the old gang back together again and be able to revisit memories like that 30 years after the fact that Reanimator was released. Well, it's very gratifying. I mean, the idea that people are still interested in a, a movie that's, you know, 30 years old, uh, it's a very rare thing. And when we made the film, I, I never expected that it would have a, a life like this. Uh, you know, you just sort of hope that people will like it, and, um, you know, it's turned into a classic. Well, we shot the film in 18 days, and um, the last day was, you know, we had to be done on, by the end of that day. We, sh we shot for almost 24 hours straight, and uh, by the very end of it, I, I, I was driving back, you know, uh, and I suddenly, my eyes stopped working. I couldn't see. I just, you know, they, they just say, I think I had, like, exhausted my eyeballs. <laughs> and I had to pull over to the side of the road, and my wife had to take over and get us back to the... Uh, condo where we were staying in. Do you find that making a movie under those kind of conditions, that kind of duress actually helps create more of a, a creative fire underneath you? That it helps make the film eventually a, a better product in the end? Well, really, the, you know, the crew got to the point where they could, you know, we were doing, I, I would guess, like 75 setups a day. You know, usually you're lucky if you can get 25. So um, this, this was an amazing, you know, people really were clicking and uh, I mean, that's the thing about Reanimator. I think the secret of success is the fact that uh, it had the right people doing the right jobs. And, you know, it was a very, you know, uh, it was my first film, so um, I like to think of it as beginner's luck. I also asked Mr. Stewart all about his main star of this franchise and many other films that he's actually done with them as well, uh, whether it be directing or producing. The one, the only, Jeffrey Combs. He turned into the guy that, you know, I've done, a, gosh, I was trying to figure out how many, at least a dozen movies, you know, together. Uh, and it's sort of like, you know, when you're a, a director and you find an actor who you can, re you know, where you're simpatico, um, you want to hang on to him. You want to just keep doing as many things as you can. Plus, Jeffrey is one, he's like a, a chameleon. He can become anybody. Uh, there have been a couple of times I once got into an elevator and there was a scrawny little guy in the elevator looked like a redneck, you know, and he sort of got his hat pulled down over his head, and it took me about five minutes to realize it was Jeffrey Combs. It's, it's very common, really, in the movie world. You know, you look at, you know, Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro, for example. You know, I mean, how many movies have they done together? Uh, you know, it's it really is about, like you were saying, you can read each other's minds, uh, you know, and it makes things so much easier. And you do have that, you know, level of trust. Where And the thing that's great about Jeffrey is he will try just about anything, no matter how insane an idea may be, and he will pull it off. My guest today on Moving Radio is none other than Stuart Gordon. I was lucky enough to run into him, and uh, he gave me the time uh, to be able to sit down and talk about his film, the 30th anniversary for it. It's called Reanimator. It was uh, quite a way to debut and make a massive splash for himself and create himself a 30-year career from that point on. 
Uh, we had uh, a little conversation at the Calgary HorrorCon where they also had a screening. It was a fantastic evening that was had by all. One of the things I talked to him about was this idea of being able to reminisce uh, about a project like this, and in particular, uh, the reunion aspect of an event like this. Well, we've stayed friends all of this time, so when we get together, it's really kind of like old home week, you know, and uh, we just sort of fall right back into the, you know, camaraderie that we had when we made the movie. One of the things I really wanted to talk about with Stuart Gordon was to address this idea of the incredible balance there is between the horror and the really dark, bizarre comedy of a film like Reanimator and just how deftly he kind of walked that tightrope balance between what moment needed to be funny and what moment needed to be scary. Uh, Stuart Gordon talks to us a little bit about how he negotiates those two uh, completely different worlds and maybe find some uh, common ground for them. Well, one of the things I've discovered is that you never will find an audience that wants to laugh more than a horror movie audience because laughter is a way of escaping the, the, the fear. And uh, so I've always discovered that it's a good idea to give them something where they can laugh, you know, give them some permission to laugh uh, that's not going to ruin the movie. You know, if they start laughing at a scene that's supposed to be terrifying, you're in trouble. So, um, you know, I think it's great to kind of alternate between things that are funny and things that are scary. I mean, I mean the best example is a movie like Jaws, for example, with that line, uh, we need a bigger boat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you've just had this crap scared out of you when that big shark's head comes out of the water and uh, and then he comes up with that line and and I supposedly he improvised that line it was not in the script uh, but it's one of the great moments in that movie and there's a huge laugh there because the audience is just so tense that they really do have this need to to kind of get that out of their system once again you are listening to a conversation I had with director producer and writer Stuart Gordon at the Calgary HorrorCon. It was all about the 30th anniversary screening of his very first directorial debut, Reanimator. That's right. And uh, when we sat down and discussed this, I also uh, fired a question to him about how he felt about the fact that Reanimator had kind of continued beyond uh, the life that he envisioned with the first film in uh, a couple of different sequels and also some sequels that never quite happened. Right, well, I didn't work on the sequels. Yeah. So, um, you know, but I, the fact that there were sequels, I think, is, you know, t- a testament to the, to, you know, the original film. The people wanted more. And, uh, which, you know, it was Brian Usna, who was the producer of the original film, who directed the other two films. Uh, and, you know, he, he followed to some degree, you know, Lovecraft originally wrote this as a six-part you know, sort of a serial in a, in a magazine. And uh, during the course of the story, it, the original story covers a period of 20 years. And so Brian, in the sequel, sort of followed that. And we're seeing West in different, you know, uh, there's a section of one of the movies where he and uh, Dan Kane are in a war in, I think it's in South America, some kind of, uh, you know, revolution is going on or something. And they're taking the dead bodies <laughs> bringing them back to life. Uh, you know, in the original Lovecraft story, they went into World War One together, and, um, you know, it was the same kind of deal. So um, in the third movie, Brian had Herbert West arrested in, in a prison, and so the whole thing took place there, and, and he's an older guy, and 
sort of trying to pass along the his secrets to a, to a younger doctor who's also there. Uh, so, and and we were playing around with the idea for a while back of doing a, sequ a sequel where Herbert West uh, is brought in because the president of the United States dies and they have to reanimate him. One of the more fascinating stories that Stuart Gordon had told at the Q&A for the night for the uh, 30th anniversary of Reanimator was the actual origin of how he found the story, the Reanimator. It's uh, it's quite well. It was kind of buried in Lovecraftian lore, and uh, the way he tells it is quite fascinating. Here's Stuart Gordon about the origins of Reanimator from H.P. Lovecraft. Well, you know, Lovecraft. Uh he personally did not like these stories. You know, he was paid to write them, and Lovecraft was kind of an odd character in that anything that he was, you know, paid to do, uh, he felt he was sort of a sellout. You know, he, he, he would like to, you know, write whatever he wanted to write and not be told, you know, you have to do this or that. And um, so Reanimator kind of got lost in the shuffle. It was not included in the anthologies of his work that were, you know, that were published after he died. And um, so I had heard about this story, but could not locate it and ended up having to fi finally go to the Chicago Public Library and it was in the special collections and I had to you know fill out an application to, to read it and it took six months before they got back to me and said you have to come down to the library and read it here and when they when I got there it was like that scene in Citizen Kane where they sit him down at the table and they brought out this pulp mag it was a, you know the pages were literally crumbling as I was turning them and I finally convinced them that I needed to Xerox it and they let me do that but the, it was completely out of print and it, you know, now because of the success of the movie it's included in all of the, the Lovecraft anthologies which I think is great because it, it is I think the stories are wonderful and I, you know, it's too bad that Lovecraft you know, was, I don't, know, I don't know if I would say he despised them but it was sort of one of his he felt lesser you know, works um, but it's actually I think one of his greatest, and and he, in the reanimator stories, it's the first time he mentions Miskatonic University, which was the fictional university that it, that, that featured. It's featured in so many other Lovecraft stories, you know, famous ones. Like, uh, and um, so you know, it was you know, Lovecraft really was kind of, you know creating this you know this world. Um, that's the thing that's kind of wonderful about his stories is they're all kind of interconnected. Well, you can't keep Herbert West down. I mean, he's such a he's such an amazing character. You know, I mean, he never you know whenever anything goes wrong, which it usually does with his experiments, he, he, the con the, the constant line he comes back to is, I guess he just wasn't fresh enough. <laughs> <laughs> Another intriguing endeavor that Mr. Gordon has set himself upon with his good friend Jeffrey Combs is, uh, is theatrical productions. I know it sounds a little bit weird to be talking about it on this show. It happens every once in a while. But Stuart Gordon and, uh, and Jeffrey Combs actually spearheaded a musical version of Reanimator. That's right. Uh, even George Went, that's right, of Cheers fame starred in many of the productions, and it's kind of been slowly but surely touring around North America. As well, on top of that, uh, the star of Reanimator series, Jeffrey Combs, was also in uh, Nevermore, which is basically kind of an Edgar Allan Poe tribute evening one-man show. So uh, Mr. Gordon was kind enough to illuminate us a little bit more about those two stage productions and his connection to them as well. 
Yeah, well, my background, you know, before I did film, I was a, a theater director, and, and I loved doing plays. So um, Jeffrey and I did a, there, there was a TV series called Masters of Horror, and we did a, an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat, in which we had Jeffrey play Poe, and he was so extraordinary that I, I, I actually felt like I was hanging out with, with Mr. Poe. And uh, it dawned on me that it would be great to do a live performance where the audience could actually be in the same room as Poe. And I discovered that Poe did do these, uh, you know, readings uh, of his poetry and, uh, and you know, sort of, um, so we tried to recreate that. And it became this play called Nevermore. And we've been doing it now for, gosh, uh, seven years. And, and uh have toured it all over the United States. We brought it to Montreal a few years ago, um, and it's 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 been really great. And and um, you know, audiences, the re reaction to it has been terrific. Um, and Reanimator, uh, I met a wonderful composer named Mark Nutter, who is a Nutter actually, <laughs> and he uh, turned Reanimator into a musical, and uh, that has also been doing quite well and we've been doing that for a number of years and we just took it to Las Vegas uh, earlier this year uh, and we're going to be touring it. Well, that about wraps it up for this week's edition of Moving Radio on CJSR. In two weeks' time, I'm going to bring you a 30-minute episode all about the House of Heathens and their brand new project, Straight to Video, which you're going to be able to find online and in a very special screening at the Metro Cinema. That's right. Stay tuned, though, ladies and gentlemen, because coming up next is the finest in feminist radio. It's Adam and Eve. <laughs>